who the blessing it is that we are a part of this Christian church that started 2,000 years ago and has gone through um, challenging times and great times of growth and then challenging times again because there's sin in the world and the gospel is something that causes division at times and yet we're here a remnant, so to speak, a people of God uh, that have been saved by his son Jesus. So it's a, my blessing and pleasure to be able to work through Acts with you. Um, if you're a guest with us, I always like to point out the gold insert in your service folder and would really encourage you to make use of that as we study together. Uh, not all of us are part of a growth group, but uh, the Bible study on the back is something that can be a, a very useful tool at home as you uh, uh, study or have devotions with your family or spouse uh, during the week. You know, um, something is true in about every industry and every area of life that there are always people who are looking at how things are working in the present and seeing how things are maybe not working as well as they could and figuring out ways for that to work better or be more successful in the future. Let me give you some examples. In fact, almost every invention came about in this way. Um, Some of you might be gardeners. Um, Among many things that I don't do well, uh, gardening is one of them. And uh, have it ever happened to you that you uh, planted your plants and for whatever reason, a certain type of plant or maybe all of them just died? And you weren't sure, was it too much water? That's an issue this uh, spring and summer. Was it too little water, too much sun, too much shade? Not sure what exactly it is. Well, someone must have the same, I guess, problem that I have because there's this development of a new product as they're thinking of the future where basically you can put this little thing in the ground next to your plant and it uploads data to your computer to let you know exactly what your plants need. Is it too much water or too little water? And you might think, why in all the world do you need that? Well, you're not me. I am someone that would use that if I had a garden. Um, Or in the area of exercise, certain problems can happen. Um, I know for me, I like to listen to music when I run or when I exercise, and those chords just always get in the way, you know, and you're you're running and and you accidentally hit the cord of your, your headphones and the earbuds fly out or whatever it might be. So maybe some of you have this, but to solve that, there's you know, wireless earbuds, which get the cords, take the cords away, right? Take the strings away, so to speak. And even in even a bigger scale, um, the Amazon rainforest, you'd think there'd just be rain all the time. And for the most part, there is. There's also a dry season in the Amazon and uh, a lot of fires, a growing amount of fires during the dry season. So some Chinese architects put together a concept for a large like rain catcher during the rainy season that then would help distribute water to the fires and to the forest during the dry season. And and like I said, these are just three examples of what happens all the time. People look at you know, challenges in the present, and you do this with even how you run your home or whatever it might be, and look for ways to do things better in the future. I preach my sermon on Saturday night, and notice whether it's connecting with people, and and Carrie knows this, oftentimes I will change it so it's better the next day in the morning. So you're getting getting the best one. This is the third time, so... (laughs) 
We do this. And, and you know, the reality is, is the church, the Christian church, needs to be doing this too. Looking at what is going on in the present and reacting and deciding how can we do things better in the future. But I think that when it comes to church world, I just need to take a step back and make sure you know what I'm talking about and what I'm not talking about. So one of the things that's true about the church is that the main purpose and the main work of the church is something that we can't improve on. The, the main work of the church is the message of the gospel, and the only thing that makes the gospel work is what or who? It's God. It's the Holy Spirit. He works through the word. In fact, when Paul, one of the first pastors in the early church, was writing to some Corinthian Christians, he, he told them this. They were getting all, I guess, um, they were arguing about which pastor was best and which leader was the best one. And so Paul writes to them, and um, he writes this in 1 Corinthians. He wrote, I, as the first pastor of the Corinthian church, I planted the seed. I shared the message. And then Apollos, a leader that came afterwards, he watered it. What do you think that means? He uh, continued the work. He nurtured it, but it wasn't Apollos that made it grow. It wasn't me that made it grow. Quit arguing about which pastor you're going to follow because God is the one who made it grow. So neither, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. You know, this type of a passage is the only reason, one of the only reasons why I became a pastor because there is no way if it was about me and my ability and my, you know, way to frame words so that people would come to believe that I could, needed to convince them. There's no way I would take that pressure on. There's no way. And if it was up to you, you'd probably, if this wasn't true, you'd probably never share the message with a friend because you'd be so worried about trying to figure out the right words. What God says is don't worry about the right words. Just share the word. And I, God, will make it grow. So we can't add as a church or change things to, to help God out with making the word work. But you know what we can do? We can remove stumbling blocks or barriers that might be disallowing people from not hearing the gospel in the first place. There are certain cultural barriers for people, that if we don't address them, people aren't going to hear in a way that makes sense. Uh, let me give you an example of this. This is kind of an extreme example, but I think it does a good job of, of helping open your mind to what I'm talking about. So about, you know, a hundred years ago or so, most Lutheran churches in the Midwest were either German or Norwegian, and they preached and taught in German or Norwegian. Okay? Now, what if for the new ministry year, I had this awesome plan? We're going to get back to our roots. We studied about the early Christian church. We need to be like Luther. And so from now on, our ministry is going to be all in German. We're going to preach in German. We're going to teach in German. It's going to be the truth of God's word, exactly the way that Martin Luther would have preached it and the way he would have said it. Sprechen Sie Deutsch, anyone? Yeah. 
You know what would happen to our church? That'd be a horrible idea. I'd, we'd still be preaching the truth of the word, the truth of the gospel, but none of you would understand it. And the church would dwindle. And, the, and people would not be able to, to come to faith because they, there's this barrier, the German language. And, and this happens in other ways too. Where it is good for churches to look at what they're doing in the present and to think about how could they do it better in the future. We can't add to the power of the gospel. Good music and musicians, um, timely preaching, relevant ministry environments, all of those things are good. They don't save anyone. The gospel saves. But we, as a church, look for ways to do things so that more people hear the gospel. We, as a church, are, need to be diligent in being well-organized because a, a disorganized church has so much sideways energy that less people hear about the gospel because they're trying to figure out their own deal. And so we can, as a church, do things in the present to allow us, as the theme says, to thrive in the future. Designed to thrive. And that leads us into uh, Acts 6. Before we get there, I have your first fill-in. So our job is to share the gospel. God's promise is to make it grow. Our job is to share the gospel. God promises um, to make it grow. Now, uh, that all leads us to Acts chapter 6. And if you've been with us over the last seven weeks or so, you've seen how the church grew. The first day, Pentecost, 3,000 people came to faith. And then there was a bunch of threats against the church and against the leaders. And we talked a couple weeks ago about being bold, that we can be bold because we have God's promise and we need to trust in his faithfulness. And the church continued to grow. Now, there's blessings with growth. But there can also be challenges with growth. Whether that be growth to your waistline or, or growth to the church. There can, be, there can be challenges with the blessing of growth. And that's what happened to the early church. And in fact, Luke lets us in on one of the challenges in the present that they needed to fix if they were going to thrive in the future. Acts chapter 6, in those days when the number of disciples or the number of Christians was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So, a little bit of explanation. Um, in this Jerusalem congregation, there was a couple different ethnic groups. You had the, the Hebrew Jews, and they spoke what language? Good, very good. See, you know more about the Bible than you think. They spoke Hebrew, and they were very much interested in the traditions and the culture of the Jewish nation. Now, you also had these Jews that in the church that were born somewhere else and then moved to Jerusalem. They were called the Greek Jews. They spoke very good. And they did not care so much about the traditions of the Jewish nation. And so there was a little bit of a conflict there. That conflict got exacerbated as the Greek Jews felt like maybe the Hebrew Jew widows were being sort of um, being favored. They were getting the better service. 
And so there's this problem that's going on. It's part and parcel with the growth of the church. And verse 2. So the 12, the 12 leaders, the 12 disciples, gathered all the other disciples or Christians together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, at first blush, this might seem as if the 12 disciples were kind of condescending about their role versus the role of handing out food. That's not at all the idea behind their words. All they were pointing out is that there are different types of work that need to get done in the church. And right now, we can't do it all. And if we try to do it all, guess what's going to happen? That which we're good at, which they call the ministry of the word of God, the preaching and the teaching, guess what is going to suffer? If they spend all the time delivering food, what's going to suffer is what they're good at, what they're blessed at, what they've been called to do. And so they've got a plan. Verse 3. Brothers, here's the plan. Here's what we're going to do in the present so that we can thrive in the future. Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and here's what we'll do. We'll turn this responsibility over to them, and we'll give our attention to what we're good at and what we've been called to do, to prayer and to ministry of the word. And this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, who was a convert to Judaism. And he presented these seven men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Their, their plan in the present to allow things to thrive in the future was to get more people involved and probably... I'm guessing people who could do the distribution of food better than they could. I was thinking about this. How good would Peter have been? You know, Peter who kind of flies off the handle and says whatever he's thinking. How good would he have been at shut-in visits? Peter the disciple. What I know of him, probably not so, well, so good. And so they wisely, for many reasons, allowed a very important ministry that is, the handing out of food to widows, to be done by other people. And these men gladly accepted, these people gladly accepted this important work that they were, that they were called to do. Now, with all this going on in the church and this, this sort of design and these new people being called, what do you suppose happened? Like, Luke writes, and there's just the first word of verse 7 here. So, like, he's going to continue with... Here's what happened because they did this. And if, if, if you're just guessing, you haven't read it in the bulletin yet, don't look. If you're just guessing what would come next, wouldn't we conjecture that what Luke would write is, so they appointed seven people, and so the Grecian Jews stopped complaining. Or so all of the widows got food in a much better way. Or so there was more harmony in the church. That's what we would think, right? Just a very menial, very, I guess, deliberate and very understandable conclusion. But <laughs> that's not what Luke writes. They got more people involved in the church. And Luke writes, so the word of God spread. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And even, 
even a large number, not a small number, a large number of Jewish priests became obedient to the faith, became obedient to Jesus. Because more widows were getting food? I mean, were they putting little Bible messages in the cupcakes or something? Or what was the deal? No, it wasn't in just because widows were getting fed, but because God's church was functioning as the church of God. More people were involved, more people were doing the things they were gifted at, all of the work important, but God's people were using their gifts and they designed the church in those very early stages to thrive and to reach even more people. And so you need to know this, number two. God's power in the word, God's power and promise to work through the word, it does not eliminate our faithful stewardship. A church that keeps its head in the sand and doesn't analyze culture and realize no one's speaking German anymore, but let's keep preaching in German. God's word works. Yeah, God's power, though, doesn't eliminate our faithful stewardship. God's power, God, God has a plan, does not eliminate your faithful participation, our faithful participation, because guess who are the hands and feet of Christ? God says, yeah, I'll make my word work through you and with you. And so, the church grew. Still today, we are, are called to lead the church in, in a wise way, with diligence, not with our heads in the sand. And it's important for, for all of us to use our gifts. And I thought maybe I would uh, share this in a way that maybe you'll understand, if nothing else, from the, the message today. Um, do any of you, uh, who knows how to juggle? Raise your hand if you know how to juggle. Daniel knows how to juggle. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna call on you. So that's all right. A few others know how to juggle. Good, Melissa. Thanks for throwing him on the sword, though. You're like my husband does. Yeah. Um, so juggling is an interesting thing. I'm okay at juggling. Lots of time studying Greek in in school. I sat in my dorm working on my juggling skills. I'm not very good, but I can juggle one ball at a time, which really isn't juggling. It's just playing catch with yourself, right? Um, and I can juggle two wiffle balls at the same time, which is kind of like one because there's only one ball in the air. You're just kind of rotating the ball um, from one hand to the other. Now, this is where it gets a little, little trickier, um, juggle three. This is what I was practicing on in college, which we'll see if it comes back to me at all. And, you know, applause is okay. I mean, if you want. Thank you, thank you. All right. I can juggle three. Now, based on how I juggle three, Anyone think I can juggle four? Absolutely what? Thanks for the confidence. I appreciate it. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see how much I can do. Okay, so Rob, you're a prophet. Thank you. I cannot juggle four. Now, what happens when you try to juggle more than what you actually can juggle? How many balls do you drop? All of them, right? You've, you've felt that in your schedule? Instead of prioritizing what's most important, you've just tried to do whatever 
and you felt like you never were able or weren't able to accomplish anything well, it's because when we try to juggle too much, all the balls drop and we don't do anything well. Stop doing that. And the same thing can be true in the church. That we all have gifts and we all have talents. And I want you to know that as one of your leaders and one of your pastors, um, I'm a three-ball juggler. And I can't juggle more than that, as you can see. And so if I try to juggle more than that, they all drop and I do nothing well. Our our best layperson here at uh, Bethlehem, and whoever that might be, I don't even have a name, I'm just saying, a really dedicated layperson, they can only juggle so much. If they try to juggle more than what God created them to juggle, all the balls are going to be to drop and the whole congregation suffers. The disciples, they could only juggle so much. And in order for all the balls not to drop, they appointed seven people who participated and helped and got involved and, as that verse said, the word spread and more people came to faith. And besides that, if only a few of us get involved in gospel ministry, whether it be at, work, at church, uh, which I think is absolutely essential for a Christian, or also in your, in your personal life, if only a few people get involved, guess what happens? That many of the gifts here today never get used. And you need to hear that again. That the gifts that you have The gifts that you have, you have gifts. So easy to look around at friends or an older brother or an older sister and to think, wow, he's so talented, they've got so much going for them, I don't have anything. Well, you may not have what they have, but you have gifts. In fact, God said, I created you wonderfully. I created you with a purpose. In fact, the reality is, is we spend most of our time lamenting who we're not. I, I don't mean to throw any uh, coals on the fire, but we're sinning. We're complaining to the Creator, and we're wasting the opportunities that He's given to us. And so, you need to know, our next fill-in, that every person and every gift is needed. Those who are good at handing out food and probably putting a good system together. Here's how we're going to do it. And remember, be nicer to the Greek widows because they're feeling a little hurt right now. Be understanding. They were needed, those people. And still today, if you belong to a church, you're needed. Every person and your gifts, whatever they might be, are needed. You have, <laughs> you have gifts and you have a church that needs them. Um, if, if you're still not sure how you can get plugged in if, if um, you know, you're not someone who sings, plays an instrument, or preaches, um, or teaches, or likes kids, you know, pre- teaches kids, I want to open your mind a little bit here real quickly. Um, 
A number of years ago, a few years ago, we had a member, and actually he's related to some of you who are here today. His name was Charlie Redlin, and many, not many of you maybe met him because as soon as he moved to the area, he pretty much had to stay at the, the nursing home, so he didn't get here very often. But uh, he was just a guy who was always involved in his church, just a really strong Christian man with, with many gifts. And uh, one time I went to visit him, he was in the lunchroom uh, eating, and um, I, so I waited a little while, and then we decided to go to his room to have a devotion and communion. And uh, as we were going to his room, he was sitting in his wheelchair. I was pushing the wheelchair. There was like this thing that I had never experienced before. Like it was a, a spontaneous parade in the nursing home, and Charlie just happened to be the grand marshal of the parade because everyone was, like, waving to him, and I think he had his, his wave down. I can't do it, but, you know, the parade wave, basically, and, and everyone was saying hi. Everyone's face lit up, all the staff, most of the, the people, residents who live there, all just, I don't know what it was. Charlie had made a difference in them. And so we went back to his room, and we had uh, a devotion, and I asked, was there anything that I could pray for him about? And uh, he said, there's something that's bothering me ever since I've been here and, and not able to get out. I feel like I have no purpose. And I'm like thinking in my brain. Did he just experience the same Charlie Redlin parade that I just went through? What do you mean you have no purpose? Now, I didn't say it to him that way. I said it nicely in pastor speak, like, Charlie, did you just see what happened? You see how many people's lives you made a difference in or have made a difference in? And most of them know that you're a Christian? And that's in part why you are the way you are? What do you mean you have no purpose? Church of God, I mean, what do you mean you have no gifts and you have no purpose for the gospel ministry? I mean, many of you are on the, the cleaning list. First of all, thank you for cleaning church once every six months or so, whatever it might be. You're not just vacuuming floors. The reason why we want this place to look nice is because it has gospel implications, because the way your church looks is a megaphone to the people who come about how you feel about God. You are doing ministry while you're scrubbing a toilet. Ever thought about that before? <laughs> Next time, think about it. Um, ushering. You're not just handing out bulletins, believe me. If we just were just handing out bulletins, we'd get a stand, and I wouldn't have to, or Shelly wouldn't have to email to remind you it's your week because we'd have the stand that just sits there. It's not about handing out bulletins. It's about a, a smile and a hello and a good morning that many people don't get in the other places of life that they go to, but on Sunday morning in God's church, they receive that. In fact, I want you to remember this, that the sermon at your church doesn't start after the sermon hymn. It starts in the parking lot. The sermon that people are going to take home with them starts when they start walking here or even when they drive in. And we're all a part of that, aren't we? What do you mean you have no gifts? What do you mean you have no purpose? You're not just cutting donuts and, and making coffee. You're creating opportunity for people to stay and to stick around other Christians for a while and to grow and to be encouraged and, and to be strengthened 
by that mutual time. When Jesus came to this earth, friends, he came not just to redeem us. I mean, he came to redeem us, but not just our person. He didn't just come to give us heaven. He redeemed not only your person, he also redeemed or changed your purpose. Sometimes we feel purposeless. Our purpose is to be the hands and feet of Christ, to be the church of God in whatever location or whatever season of life we're in, and to make a difference, whether that be in preaching, playing, singing, cleaning toilets, cutting donuts, taking the grandkids, coaching a sport, whatever it is, we have purpose and you have gifts. And so the reality is our last fill-in, a thriving church is one that has you involved. We can't thrive like God intended unless we all are involved. To close, I want to give you a last little illustration that brings this home. Um, When I was a teenager, we lived in Wisconsin, and there was a marsh nearby called Horicon Marsh. It's it's quite... uh, quite famous, I guess, as, as, as famous as marshes can be, I guess. But um, anyway, the Horicon Marsh and millions of Canadian geese would land in the Horicon Marsh on their way south during the fall. And so there'd be like this constant honking, uh, you know, in the sky during those, those weeks and that month. And when you watch geese, have ever, any of you ever wondered why they always fly in that V pattern? And some of you might know this, but two scientists decided to get very scientific and to discover exactly what the benefit might be of the V formation. And what they discovered is that when geese fly in a V as opposed to on their own, the geese fly 70% more efficiently because there's like an updraft of the geese in front of them, and so it's easier, they get more done, and they go faster. All right, V formation, everyone. But isn't, isn't that how God designed us? I look around, and I see so many people that are using their gifts and that are involved. I see some that might still be sitting on the sidelines a little bit. But all of us together, by God's design, have been designed to thrive as we continue to be the hands and feet of our Savior. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, you not only redeemed us for eternity, you also, Lord, we thank you, redeemed our purpose and has give, have given us great purpose, no matter what season of life we're in. Lord, help all of us to use our gifts, not only to uh, find success in this life, but to make a difference for eternity. Be with us all. Help us uh, to mutually encourage each other along that way. Dear Lord, we also today uh, thank you for uniting John Streckert and uh, Kelly Porter in marriage and would ask that you continue to guide them and, and be their foundation, not only individually, but also as a couple. It's in Jesus' name we pray.